0: he has this very slim majority and, you know, he needs everyone basically in the caucus or nearly everyone. And it's just not clear that some will ever be satisfied with Kevin McCarthy. And that may be going back to his past.
1: This is Michael Cranish. He's a political investigative reporter for The Post, and he has spent a lot of time looking into the top Republican in the House, Kevin McCarthy. As Republicans get ready to retake the House in January, McCarthy is the most likely option to become the next Speaker of the House. But the GOP will have a narrow majority. That means that just a few votes against McCarthy could be a huge problem for him. And this week, that problem got worse.
0: Speaking of the Republican majority, uh, if Kevin McCarthy can't get 218 votes to be Speaker, who
1: can? And I know you're. A... McCarthy is struggling to find support. Five Republicans have already signaled that they will not vote for him. And on Tuesday, Congressman Andy Biggs said that he will challenge McCarthy, which could peel off even more GOP votes. So the question here is. Will McCarthy survive this? And what can his past tell us about his ability to win this kind of political battle? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, December 7th. Today, we walk through Kevin McCarthy's rise to power as a gifted political strategist and whether he'll become speaker when a new Republican Congress convenes in January.
0: Kevin McCarthy grew up in uh, Bakersfield, California. He's 57 years old. He does have that look like a politician, and he started in the state legislature, the Young Republicans in California. Really what drove me to my own party was the idea of individual
2: freedom, the idea that Ronald Reagan was uh, president at the time, that America could be strong again, that we could accomplish something, and more importantly, from the fiscal perspective, that uh, I
0: could keep more money of what I earned. He was an aide to a moderate Republican from the district who then uh, left Congress and Kevin McCarthy took his place uh, in 2006. So when he came in, he was seen as, um, I wouldn't say moderate, but more moderate than a lot of other members. I do believe we should all work together and find common sense solutions. But um,
2: from one standpoint, people see me as a Republican. Do you realize I'm the first Republican in my family? My entire family were
0: Democrats. Kevin McCarthy was elected to Congress in 2006. And by 2010, he'd already risen pretty quickly among the Republican leadership. And there were these three younger members of the Republican Party who'd called themselves the Young Guns. They put out a book with the same title, Young Guns. And they were going to position themselves in the party as common-sense conservatives, they said, and try to uh, take over the uh, House for Republicans. He's not the same person that, that you see today as someone who is really... According and in his position in part because of trying to attract over members of the most conservative parts of his party. He pledges fealty to the um, far-right part of the party. He pledges fealty eventually to Donald Trump, whereas the other two young guns, they're no longer in Congress.
1: You kind of described him as a classic politician. W- what does that mean?
0: So Kevin McCarthy you think of a member of Congress, sometimes you think about them staking out particular positions, They're a policy walk, or they feel so strongly about something. McCarthy's always been known as the strategist. Now, you know what? The American people are tired of rhetoric. They want
2: people to run on ideas. And that's really why Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor, and myself created Young Guns. That was to go out and help candidates that would challenge Democrats on ideas.
0: And when you look across this country... So what Kevin McCarthy is known for is being very effective maybe less so this time since the margin's so thin, but in trying to find Republicans from certain districts that might be available to swing back to the GOP and get them to run for Congress.
2: Well, you take it, everybody that we ref- recruited to run, there was more women running than ever before. It was more diverse from nationality than ever before. And it takes time, but that is, was a great start.
0: and. Um... So he is a gladhander. He's someone who spends a lot of time on the road meeting prospective candidates, and that's something that he has been successful at.
1: So it surprises me to hear that back then, McCarthy branded himself as a common-sense conservative and somewhat of a moderate, this book that he published with Cantor and Ryan that they were calling for more bipartisanship because it feels kind of far from from where he is now. So where do we start to see that more moderate Kevin McCarthy begin to evolve and for him to um, recognize the importance of of being further to the right if he wants to be a core part of the Republican Party.
0: Yeah, so when Kevin McCarthy uh, wrote that book with his two colleagues on the young guns, um, he wrote that He had learned the importance of reaching across the aisle while not giving up his principles. So by 2015, you had the far right of the party trying to oust John Boehner as Speaker of the House. And it looked like Kevin McCarthy was in line to become speaker himself.
2: We are starting off with breaking news out of Capitol Hill this hour, where House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy has just officially announced his run for House Speaker. McCarthy tweeting in just the past hour, after hearing from my colleagues, I have decided to run for Speaker of the House. Let's work together to make a difference for our country. In the wake of John Boehner's
0: shocking- Kevin McCarthy did not become Speaker. At the same time in 2015, Donald Trump, who was then running for president, Um, said that uh, he had something to do with Kevin McCarthy not becoming Speaker of the House.
2: Kevin McCarthy is out, you know that, right? And they're giving me a lot of credit for that because I said, you really need somebody very, very tough and very smart.
0: They picked Paul Ryan instead who had his own problems with Trump. But obviously there is a lesson that Kevin McCarthy learned there, that if Trump is saying, you know, I made it so that Kevin McCarthy didn't become speaker because he wasn't tough enough and so forth, as Trump said, although Trump takes credit for a lot of things that he didn't necessarily deserve credit for, you know, that's that's something that will stick with him. And so um, at that point, Kevin McCarthy sees Trump as the future and aligns himself with him. So he is by that time pretty strongly allied uh, with the person who then was elected president in 2016.
1: And what were the moments when you see Kevin McCarthy um, really seeing the opportunity in standing by Trump?
0: Well, I think like a lot of Republicans, Kevin McCarthy saw how the party had basically become the Trump party. That if you wanted to survive and get ahead in the Republican Party, that you had to pledge fealty to Donald Trump. So he did work closely with Trump on a a number of issues and strongly supported his re-election bid. And what's really interesting is that if you go back and listen to what McCarthy was saying, just two days after the election... Kevin McCarthy goes on Fox News and basically says President Trump won this election. They didn't defeat
2: one Republican incumbent and they lost 15. And President Trump won this election. So everyone who's listening, do not be quiet. Do not be, do not be silent about this. We cannot allow this to happen before our very eyes. We can unite together. Now, you don't need to be a Republican. You believe in every legal vote needs to count. You believe in the American process. Join together and let's stop this.
0: So this was a time when Trump, of course, was alleging incorrectly, falsely, that he'd won the election. You had some other Republicans being a little more cautious. So the Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell, was saying, well, let's see how this plays out. Let's see how the court challenges go. Let's see when all the ballots are counted and so forth. Kevin McCarthy was so deep in with Trump that two days after, he was the most prominent election denier, to use that phrase, other than Trump himself. So that sent a very important signal to other members of the House Republican Caucus, as well as the rank and file across the country. So when you look back um, and you wonder, you know, how did this play out? How did we eventually get to, you know, a January 6th moment and so forth? That is an important signifier of where he was standing then. He he went further than even a lot of Trump's most fervent supporters.
1: After the break... I talk with Michael about the consequences of McCarthy's political gamesmanship. We'll be right back. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100 percent sure yet what to write.
0: Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor.
1: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. I've also heard over the years this sense that McCarthy, like, doesn't really like Trump, that he doesn't really enjoy like being around Trump, but that he's kind of holding his nose or that this is somewhat of a transactional relationship with the former president. Do you have that sense from your reporting? Do you think that there's something something true there that McCarthy, like at his core, is feels a little like icky about being so closely allied with Trump?
0: Well, I mean, a lot of Donald Trump's relationships are transactional on the Trump end of things. So it's certainly true that on the other end, there would also be transactional. Uh, if you're Kevin McCarthy and you see if Trump says he blocked you from becoming Speaker back in 2015, became President of the United States himself, um, and then basically controls the party apparatus as he did, you know, you're know you probably going to say, yeah, I want to make a deal with this guy. I want to support this guy. Um, whether you need to go as far as two days after the election that Trump lost, saying that Trump won, that's another matter. That's, that's a pretty serious question. And I don't know that he's ever gone back and said, that he was wrong to have said that. He did say later that Biden won. But, you know, that's a that's a pretty strong statement to have made. And, you know, that is something. He's, he We can go on and look a little forward after January 6th when the insurrection happened. He was upset with Trump, that he blamed Trump for for what happened. But then later in January, he goes down to Mar-a-Lago and basically make amends and has a picture taken where they're smiling with Trump. Because he sees, again, that this is a path to power for himself. I mean, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to put the Republican Party in the majority and make himself Speaker. And if it takes dealing with Trump, even though Trump continues to insist the election was stolen, which is not true, you know, that's what it takes.
1: I'd also love to talk a little bit about McCarthy's relationship with um other more right-wing members of the party in Congress, like Representative Matt Gates, Representative Marjorie Taylor Green, how he has been able to navigate those relationships with with those members who hold a lot of clout, even though they're probably I think definitely more extreme than than McCarthy is.
0: Well initially Kevin McCarthy had some concerns, but when Marjorie Taylor Greene won the primary, um, even though Marjorie Taylor Green had expressed support for QAnon, which is this set of false claims um, an extremist ideology. He basically said we'd welcome her to Washington.
2: And Steny Hoyer and the Democrats said no. They're going to judge her on things that were said that she has now denounced before she was ever a member of Congress. I just wonder if they take that same standard.
0: So, again, it shows you the lengths to which McCarthy will go to make sure, you know, he has the support of many folks in the party that maybe he wouldn't otherwise have. There are some others in the party, Matt Gates has said he's a no, some other members have said their no's. So even though McCarthy you know, has been so strongly allied with Trump, there are just some in this House Freedom Caucus, for example, that are just not going to vote for him uh, when the full vote comes up for the speakership uh, in, uh, in a couple of weeks. So that that is something that he's going to have to face. And it is theoretically possible that those small number of Republicans, including Matt Gates, could find a way to block his path.
1: I think it's also interesting to think about his relationship with members of the party who are more moderate than him. Um, And if we're drawing comparisons with uh, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, I mean, people always talk about her, that, that, you know, she might disagree with some Democrats in the caucus, but at the end of the day, like, she keeps them united. She says, like, as long as you're a Democrat, like, you need to go out and get reelected, and then we'll sort of hash out our differences later. But to look at how McCarthy treated Congresswoman Liz Cheney when she came under attack, I mean, it was clear that he really ditched her, right? That, you know, was kind of like happy to uh, let her be eaten by the Republican Party. What do you make of that?
0: Well, it's really one of the most extraordinary relationships that I've seen fall apart in all the years that I've covered politics. Here you had Liz Cheney, the representative from Wyoming. She is his loyal deputy, really did an awful lot of things to help Kevin McCarthy and he wanted her in that position. And yet, when Liz Cheney says, I'm gonna vote to uh, impeach Trump, and in fact, lead that effort uh, as best she could with 10 members of the Republican Party voting to impeach Trump in the House, Kevin McCarthy you know, breaks pretty strongly with Liz Cheney, eventually pushes her out of that position and replaces her with Elise Stefanik, representative from New York. And Liz Cheney has ever since become really the chief antagonist of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, when uh, minority leader McCarthy has had the opportunity to do the right thing or do something that serves his own political purpose, he always chooses to serve his own political purpose. And, you know, that is pretty striking. When you have someone who is your loyal deputy who saw you from the inside day after day saying, you know, you are just the epitome of politics, in essence, just for your own purposes, that's pretty striking.
1: you feel like the Liz Cheney ouster um, might have a consequence for McCarthy going forward? I mean, thinking about the, the, this incredibly slim majority that Republicans are going to have in the House and the idea that everyone needs to be united in that party if they're going to, you know, get anything done or hold strong against the Democrats. And I just wonder if there is like this group of Republicans in the House who are like, I don't know, man, it seems like... Kevin McCarthy is not going to be there for you in your time of need if you, really, if you really need it, right? That, like, whether he has the loyalty among party members seeing how quickly someone can get thrown under the bus.
0: I think that depends on what happens with Trump. So you've had two of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump who were reelected to Congress. So those two, you know, might feel like they don't need to follow Kevin McCarthy and everything that he says – Um, But you have an awful lot of election deniers, frankly, who are members of Congress. So he's going to have a lot of people who are allied with him and allied with Trump. So they may see him as someone who is, you know, leading them in the right direction. But even that, even, you know, allying himself with Trump, even ousting Liz Cheney, that's not enough for some members on the right in the Republican Party. So it's pretty extraordinary that he's gotten that far. And one of the really interesting things that I'm looking to see is what does McCarthy try to get done? Does he try to use the next two years to basically launch investigations, as he said he would do, into Biden? He said he's he's approved the idea of investigating Hunter Biden, looking into all sorts of things that would relate to Joe Biden, um, how the pullout in Afghanistan happened, which is a legitimate topic to investigate for sure, have a lot of other things occurred. But it also begs the question will they be able to pass any legislation you've got a democratic controlled senate a democrat in the white house what will he do and what kind of legislation if any you know will he try to get passed normally in that position you need to be a deal maker sometimes that means saying no to members of your own party it might mean saying no to Trump it's not clear that he can do that and as a result it's just not clear legislatively what he could get done maybe strategically he thinks that's a good idea setting himself and the party up for the next presidential election in 2024.
1: And how do you think McCarthy will navigate these these current divisions in the Republican Party? I mean, we're at this moment where Trump has declared that he's running for president again, even though a lot of Republicans blame him, at least in part, for losing more than they should have in the midterms um and that there is this question of like what is the power of Trump going forward is there a reason to actually like switch loyalties to to someone else or to to kind of push Trump more towards the outskirts of the the heart of the Republican party so so how is McCarthy going to handle that if he's basically the most powerful Republican in government
0: well, Wiseman once said that uh, predictions are difficult, especially when the future is involved. But I, I would think that, you know, at some point he may have to, you know, go to members and say, you know, it's either me or, you know, if you do this, it might, you know, basically be an, you know, a version of burning down the House for the GOP. So he's got to face the political reality, and the political reality is numbers. He's a numbers guy. He's a strategist. So he may realize that. And then he's got Trump out there who's going to be watching his every move. And Trump has never been shy about being hypercritical, you know, basically trying to get his own person there. So it seems like McCarthy and Trump have an understanding, but we've seen those things, you know, fall apart. But he could put a lot of pressure um, on him. So you can see some of the members on the right trying to go around McCarthy, going directly to Trump. Um, you know, watching that all play out, it's, it's going to be quite a show to sit back and see.
1: Michael, thank you so much for explaining all this. This has been fascinating. Thanks for having me. Michael Cranish is an investigative political reporter for The Post. Thanks for listening to another episode of Post Reports. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh and edited by Lucy Perkins and Rena Flores. It was mixed by Sean Carter. For listeners who heard Monday's episode about the Senate runoff in Georgia, you might have seen the news from Tuesday night. Reverend Raphael Warnock won that race against challenger Herschel Walker in what was still a pretty tight vote. If you want to understand how that race played out and what it means for the future, check out our latest coverage from WashingtonPost.com. And don't forget to tune in to our new morning podcast here at The Post called The Seven for more of the latest on political news and everything else. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.